0: Uh, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 1. <coughs> Excuse me. We have um, begun a new series that we've entitled A New You. And for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, I want to take just a moment to explain what I mean by a new you. Um, you know, we're starting a new year. Johnny was talking about New Year's resolutions. And it would be easy for you to be led to believe that I'm proposing that you become a new you this year. Um, But for those of you who are already following Jesus, I want to say to you, you already are new, right? You're a new creation, a new creature. Um, Now, granted, some days you might be acting like the old you, um, but if you are in Christ, if you are a Christ follower, you are already a new you. And it's important for us to remind ourselves of that. It's, It's important for us to sort of rehearse that. Um, and as we sort of remember the fact that we are new because of Jesus, I believe that it'll, it'll have an impact on our daily lives. Um, and essentially the difference between living like the new you and trying to become a new you is, is basically our motivations, right? See, if, if your motivation is to try to become new or a better version of yourself when Jesus has already made us new, then all we're doing is trying to, to, trying to earn what we already have, right? Um, for example, it's foolish for us to pray or read our Bible from the motivation of trying to earn God's favor, right? It's foolish because we already have God's favor. Why would we try to earn something we already have, right? Instead, what if we spent our time praying to our Heavenly Father in response to all that he's given us, in, in response to the fact that we've already got his favor, we already have his love, that we already have a relationship with him that we didn't even earn, right? So, how many of you would rather um, live like the new you rather than try to become a new you? All right, good. Um, so, for the next several weeks, we're going to go through the book of Ephesians, chapter by chapter, Um and try to remember and rehearse this idea of the new you. Um, also, last week we said that we're going to have some fun in this series. Um, we, uh, we started a group text this week um, for those of you who wanted to sort of just get a little um, encouraging um, text to sort of live from that motivation of being the new you. And I kind of expected that I would, you know, send out a text Everybody was just sort of like taking it hard and trying to, you know, live from that. Um, but what I didn't expect is it became this this really cool conversation. And um, when it first started happening, I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> what about, you know, people who are at work are going to, you know, be, you know, frustrated that all this is happening. But the more we the more we saw it happening and started reading the responses, it was awesome. It was awesome, the conversation and the fellowship that was occurring in that group text um, so if you didn't get in on that and you want to be a part of that, take your uh, connection card in your bulletin and just write your name and your cell phone number on that. And then drop that in the, the uh, offering as it goes by at the end. Um, let's see what else. Oh, yeah. The second thing we did was we started a hashtag so that you could, like, post how well you're doing living from that motivation of being a new person. Um, we only had one person. Here's the hashtag. A new ULJC. Who, who's on social media and uses hashtags? All the young people. <laughs> All right. I was gonna issue a challenge that us older folks could beat you younger folks, but I don't know if we can do it. Um, so I want to challenge you guys <laughs> to help me out here. Um, but yeah, you can post a ha- uh, just a you can just tweet Twitter tweet tweet. Yeah. <laughs> You can just tweet out something and put the hashtag in, and then we can sort of pull them out of Twitter and post them. We had one person do it this week, he did it on Facebook, um, and it's, I know it's kind of small because he's a little wordy, yeah. See? <laughs> and he did it on Facebook, which is why it was so wordy. Twitter only gives you, what, 140 characters? Is that right? Yeah. So, um but yeah, if you want to uh, participate in this hashtag, just I mean, and and what was kind of cool is that he posted this on Facebook, and a bunch of other people liked it, who were not even a part of the church, and so it's it's kind of creating this. I don't, know, I don't know, what did you call it? It's just this community that we didn't sort of we didn't really expect, but it's it's going to be kind of fun. Um, the other thing that we're going to do, uh, which I I alluded to this last week, but we're not really starting it this week because Riken was on vacation. Um, Riken is planning on losing some weight, okay? And we're, we're going to sort of incorporate it into the series. And I'm going to join him. I'm going to try and compete against him, okay? And some of you might think, well, how does that sort of relate? Um, you know how, um, you know, because we can, we can say that that's kind of opposite of what we're trying to do because we're trying to work out, trying to become a better version of ourselves physically. But, again, it's the motivation. Um, in the same way that a sculptor doesn't take a, block, a big block of stone and try to make something better, a, scu- a real sculptor, he already sees something beautiful inside there. And he chips away everything to reveal it. And I was going to put a picture of what I sort of see myself some, you know, fit dude without a shirt and my head on his body, but uh, it was kind of dorky. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah, I know I know Reichen sees himself uh, as different, and he's going to try and uncover that, and, and I want to see myself better too. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna do that in a sort of conjunction. We'll we'll sort of track our progress, and if anybody else wants to join us in that, anybody compete? Yeah, all right, awesome. <laughs> if anybody else wants to, come right along. It's a, it'll be fun. All right. Um, so Ephesians 1. We're going to read the uh, whole chapter, and um, and then we'll talk about it. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1. This letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault. In his eyes, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Christ Jesus. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. So we praise God for the glorious grace he has poured out on us who belong to his dear son. He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his son and forgave our sins. He has showered his kindness on us, along with all wisdom and understanding. God has now revealed to us his mysterious plan regarding Christ, a plan to fulfill his own good pleasure. And this is the plan. At the right time, he will bring everything together under the authority of Christ, everything in heaven and on earth. Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God, For he chose us in advance and he makes everything work out according to his plan. God's purpose was that we Jews, who were the first to trust in Christ, would bring praise and glory to God. And now you Gentiles have also heard the truth the good news that God saves you. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit we promised long ago. The spirit is God's guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised and that he has purchased us to be in his own people. He did this so we would praise and glorify him. Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also the world to come. God has put all things under under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere by himself. What an amazing passage of scripture this first chapter is. But what you don't see in most modern translations is that in the original text, verses 3 through 14, a pretty big chunk right before he started talking about how he was praying for the Ephesians, verses 3 through 14 is actually one sentence it's this one enormous run-on sentence this sentence is a beautiful picture of the spiritual realities that we are loved and adopted into god's family that we are purchased by the blood of christ and given so great a salvation that we didn't have to earn it Um, that we have assurance of that salvation because we've given the guarantee of it the the holy spirit deposited into our spirit Um, the the guarantee that we have an inheritance waiting beyond this life and that God has inserted us into His plan to redeem all mankind. I mean, this sentence is just overwhelming of all that God has done and is doing and will do from the foundations of the earth and, and how we have been inserted into that plan. And then at the end of this massive run-on sentence, Paul sort of turns his attention to the Ephesians. He says in verse six or verse 15, he says, ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly. And from here, Paul leads us into what he prays for them, which we some of us know as the ephesians one prayer Uh, but paul is basically saying here when i go to god and talk to him i'm noticing that what's filling a lot of my space with god is just thanking him for what he's doing in ephesus and you know i've noticed this with myself as well i've noticed the same thing with this church that every time I go to God in prayer, whether it's by myself, or with my wife Vicki, or with our staff, or in a group, I'm always, I'm constantly thanking God for Life Journey Church. I'm thanking God for what He's doing in and through each one of you. And, and it's, you know, I think there's something about investing in people. That when you pray, you find yourself praying for and thanking God for those that you're pouring your life into. And I'm sure that many of you have experienced the exact same thing where you've poured your life into someone and every time you pray, you're thanking God for them and praying for them. And and if you haven't, I encourage you to find someone that you need to pour your life into. There's someone in your life that you can pour your life into, that you can invest in and, and experience the same thing. But in this passage and in the, in the context of the entire chapter, I think Paul shows us the purpose of prayer. See, for Paul, prayer seems to be a response. For Paul, prayer is a response of gratitude and thanksgiving. Prayer for Paul is not this obligatory thing that we do in the name of devotion. You know, instead, prayer is something we do from the outflow of our relationship with God. It's something we do from the overflow of having a relationship with God who loves us and has rescued us from the bondage of sin and death and has freely given us so great a salvation And for those of you who might be thinking, well, yeah, I don't really know how to pray. I just want to encourage you. You really do know how to pray, even though you might not think you do. Because if you can say thank you, you know how to pray, right? If you can say, wow, you know how to pray. If you can say, you're awesome, you know how to pray. I mean, if you you look at Paul's prayers all throughout the New Testament... And it's full of thanksgiving. He's constantly thanking God for something or for someone. Right? And sometimes I think we get so caught up with what prayer should look like. And how we should go about it. But more than anything. Prayer is a response to all that God has lavished on us. And that's why the structure of this, this whole chapter is so important. Um, because Paul lays out for us. All that God has done in verses 3 through 14, right? And then he responds with thanksgiving. And, and he responds with thanksgiving not only mostly for how God has done all that for them, right? Because he's invested in him, He sees everything God's done for them. Now, when we get to verse 17, he moves into what he's actually praying for. Um, he says, and this is how many of us learned this verse. He says, I pray that God will give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, for many of us, um, I mean, we've read this a number of times, right? And there's part of us that thinks, wow, isn't that beautiful? But there's another part of me that thinks, is that really the most encouraging thing Paul could pray for them? Right? I mean, think of all the things that Paul could pray. Like, if I sent you a text today and said, hey man, I saw you in church today, and I just want to tell you that I'm praying that God will give you um, give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. You know, you might be looking at that and say, okay, what does that really mean, right? And I'd be like, I don't know, I just read it, it sounded right. No. Um, but what if I sent you this text? What if I said, hey, I saw you in church today, and I'm praying that God will give you a bonus at work this month. And I'm believing that in 2016, you're going to get that promotion that you've been praying for. Now, I'll be honest, how many would rather receive that text than the first one? <laughs> yeah, right? I mean, Paul could have prayed for the Ephesians that God would keep their children healthy, right? Or, or bless their business, or bless their crops, or, or protect them from false teaching, right? I mean, there's so many things Paul could pray for. Instead of praying for circumstances, though, Paul prays that they would grow in their knowledge of God. Why? Why does the Apostle Paul, who we believe was inspired by God in writing this, so we could actually say, why does God lead Paul to pray that they would grow in their knowledge of God? I mean, there are other passages of Scripture that talk about how knowledge puffs up. Right. Which is to say that the more information you get, the more puffed up you get. And all you can see is your own puff. Right. Because you're all puffed up. You know, it's just all about you and all about how much, you know. So it must not be that kind of knowledge. Paul's talking about. That he's praying for. Clearly, Paul isn't saying I'm praying God gives you more information about himself or more spiritual statistics or more biblical data. Right. Now, the word knowledge in this verse isn't referring to information. It's referring to a relational knowing. Paul prays for the Ephesians that they would have a relational knowing of God. Let me read it from a couple of other versions. And again, this is why I always encourage you to read multiple versions of Scripture because you can get so much more insight. Um, The NIV and the New New Century Translation say that that he prays that God would give them the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that that you may know him better. The uh, New Revised Standard says that God may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him. So it's, it's this relational knowing that Paul's talking about here. And then he adds the, the wisdom and revelation part, right? It's not just, I pray that you know God better. It's, I pray for a spirit of wisdom and revelation in, in how you know God in relation, relationally. So it's, it's basically, he's, he prays that they would have a deep awareness of God's activity and involvement in their everyday life. He prays that they would have a deep awareness of God's activity and involvement in their everyday life. Now, why is that important? Why pray for that? Well, if you think about it, instead of praying for circumstances, it makes perfect sense, right? For example, I have noticed in my own life, and I'm sure you have too, that when circumstances improve they don't often inspire growth in our relationship with God, right? In fact, if I were to be completely honest, some of the times it even causes distraction and indifference, right? And you know what I'm talking about. You know, you're busy, you're firing all cylinders, crossing every T, dot in every I, life is moving at a fast, successful pace, and God, we're going to, you know, connect real soon, but in the meantime, I'm just going to receive all your blessings down here, Okay? I mean that's just human nature, and there's a part of me that knows my history. That when things go bad, I'm sort of driven to my knees more, and I would rather it be when things go good. I'm driven to my knees more, so God sees that wants to give me more good, right? Um, but it doesn't kind of it doesn't really work that way. And let me ask this: Why do people typically come to church for the first time or? come back to church right see for a lot of a lot of people when everything is clicking everything's booming or moving everything their business moving most people if you were asking them to come to church they'd be like oh now i don't have time for church right sundays are big days for us who needs a crutch when nothing's broken right so yeah i'm good why do most people come to church let's be honest It's because he got laid off. Or it's because a crisis happens or something bad happens with their kids. I mean, it's just typical human nature. We're sort of driven back to God when things aren't going so well here. But I believe Paul's prayer transcends circumstances. Paul prays for something that will prepare you for all life's circumstances for instance if you have no deep awareness of god and your circumstances and your circumstances improve it could lead to pride and arrogance right if you don't have any awareness of god in your life and your circumstances are great you can become proud prideful and arrogant if you have no deep awareness of god and your circumstances go bad it could lead to to um Or discouragement. But if you have a deep awareness of God and your circumstances improve, it leads you to thanksgiving and gratitude. Just like we saw with Paul. And if you have a deep awareness of God and your circumstances go bad, it leads you to trust God despite what's going on around you. You lean into him and trust him despite your circumstances. And maybe that's why God inspires Paul to pray for something that completely transcends the circumstances of his life. So that whether your circumstances go good or bad, you have this profound awareness of God's relationship with you. And you're prepared to endure all circumstances with faith because God is there, because he's involved, because he's attentive And he's near to you. See, if God is attentive, involved, and near you, that changes everything that you experience. If, in fact, you are deeply aware of God's reality, activity, and involvement in your life, then that dramatically affects your decisions. It dramatically affects your ethics and your morals. Everything is, is, it affects everything, your public life, your private life, your personal life. Everything is affected when God is there. I mean, how could it not? When you're aware that He is there, there's this relational knowing going on. Let me illustrate it this way Have you ever watched a movie um, by yourself or with some friends, perhaps, um, and then later share that movie? with someone important to you, like maybe a parent or a spouse or someone you look up to spiritually, and then all of a sudden, in the middle of this movie, to your utter shock, there's this questionable scene that comes on. And you're just like scrambling for the remote. You know, you turn it off. You're like, whoa, I am so sorry. I mean, I must have gone to the bathroom when that scene came on, right? And, and, and when in your heart, you know... That you had really compromised your standards when you saw it the first time. That's the power of presence. Right? This has been amazing the power of you knowing that someone else is witnessing and involved in your activity. A few months ago, your standards were here, and now your standards are here just because there's someone with you. A few months ago, you enjoyed that movie and thought it was funny. But now with someone, that someone is with you, you're like in utter shock and horror. This is where a lot of Christians sort of misunderstand the power of our relationship with God. See, the power is not in your ethics. The power is not in your standards. The power is not in your willpower. It's not in your ability to follow through on your New Year's resolutions. I mean, there's no power there. The power to live like the new you is not found in determination, discipline, or devotion. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't have those things, but that's not where the power's at. The power to live like the new you is found in the awareness that your Heavenly Father is right there, it changes how you talk, it changes how you you know what you do publicly, it changes what you do privately. Ethics and, and morals never saved anybody, right? Salvation only comes from this of our loving, gracious God who gave us His Son, who is present and available and involved in our everyday lives, and therein lies the power to live like the new you. Paul spends all this, verses 3 through 14, describing all we have as as our new creation, right? All that we have in Christ, and then he immediately prays for that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in our relational knowing of God. That God would open up our eyes to see that he is there he's present, he's attentive, he's involved in our lives. So what I'm going to pray for my life and my family and for your life and your family is that our Heavenly Father would give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him so that we would know him better. I'm also going to pray the next verse that that the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened so that we may know the hope of, To which he has called us. The riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And his incomparably great power. For those of us who believe. See. Only God. Can give us more of him. But we can make ourselves. More available to him. Right. We can surrender our hearts to more of his leading, to more of his presence, and to more of his involvement. If we just open our eyes and see it. If we have that revelation that Paul prays for. I wonder if Paul has just pulled back the veil to show us what prayer is really all about. Because he uses prayer to pray for the Ephesians, not for more things. He doesn't even use it to get the things on his list. And I'm not saying those things are wrong, but notice the primary purpose of Paul's prayer is to pray for more of God. maybe the best way to illustrate this, and I'll, I'll close with this. Um, I'm married to Vicki, and I have all of her, right, for the ne- the last almost 29 years. But I want more of her. Does that make sense? Right? Like, she's all of mine, but the more we get to walk each other with each other and enjoy each other, I get more of her, right? And I think that's the goal of marriage. And the same is true with our relationship with God. Look, you have all of Jesus. He's totally yours and you're totally his. But you can grow in your relationship with him. And I believe that prayer is our relating space with God. Like conversation is the relating space with our spouse. Prayer is less about getting things from God. It's more about getting more of God. And that's not to say you can't pray for needs and things and wants, right? But that's not the primary purpose. It's more about getting more of him. And I don't know about you guys, but I want more of God, right? Just like Paul's praying here, I want more. I want to have that wisdom and revelation in in the relational knowing of him, right? And I pray that in 2016, we will all be people who want more of him. And I'm confident that as we surrender to more of him, God will be much more real to us because we'll have surrendered to that wisdom and revelation in that relational knowing of Him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this amazing passage of Scripture. I mean, if we were to just pick each phrase apart and dissect it, we could spend weeks and weeks talking about all that Paul addressed here. But I also love the big picture lesson from this chapter. That Paul gives us this amazing picture of all that we have in you, God. All that we have in Christ And then he begins to pray that we would have wisdom and revelation in our relational knowing of you. God, that's what we want. We don't want more stuff. We don't want more things. We want more of you, God. God, we pray that you would help us to loosen our grip on the things of this earth, the things of this world, and that from the depths of our hearts we could pray exactly what Paul prayed. God, I pray that you would give me a spirit of wisdom and revelation, that I would know you better. Help me to see how you're active and involved and, and attentive in my life. And I know that when we do that, everything is going to change. When all we see is our circumstances, sometimes we live like the old us. But God, I know that knowing that you are there, having this relational knowing that you are a part of our lives and you're intimately involved. I know that that will dramatically change affect how we live from the motivation of who we are in you. That we already are new and we want to live from that. Not trying to become that. We already have it. We already have everything that you could ever give. (laughs) Help us to see that. Help us to see the spiritual realities of this chapter and the importance of praying for more of you. Pray that we become our prayer guide.